This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. I'm John Dunn, and I'd like to thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. Today is October the 29th of 2020, and we're going to focus this episode around pit bulls, pit bull terrier type dogs, bully breeds. Where are we with this issue? It's been 13 years since Michael Vick's Bad News Kennels dog fighting operation was busted, and 47 of the dogs were rescued, and they changed the conversation around pit bulls forever. So how much progress have we made, and what lies ahead? The perceptions of this malign group of dogs. How far have we come in changing them? Things like adopters. How does the animal-loving public feel about opening their homes to them today? Are we changing hearts and minds? And legislatively, hundreds of organizations are out there advocating for better, more humane laws at every level of government. Laws that don't discriminate so that in the eyes of the law, all dogs are treated as individuals. Where does that effort stand, and how can we, as citizens, as those of us with organizations, how can we get involved? We focus on the reality, we focus on the facts, and we focus on safety, because breed discriminatory laws are ineffective. You know, the studies show they fail to enhance safety. You know, most city councils, when they enact like a stupid law, like a pit bull ban or a cat leash law, like, you know, they don't think about, well, how are we going to enforce it? You need to think about that. And you need to think about the economics, especially in the time of COVID, because we see city councils getting their budgets slashed and you're going to enact, you know, this stupid ordinance that's not going to enhance safety and it's going to cost you thousands of dollars a year to enforce. I mean, that's just silly. A bit of a disclaimer, which is to say that one episode of a podcast, this is a very tricky topic. It's intense. It's a nuanced issue with a lot of different angles. So my hope is that this one can serve as a good starting point and we can dive deeper into some specific areas in future episodes. Now, quickly, two things. First, the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast, links to subscribe on your platform of choice. And on the page for each episode, we put up tons of great resources related to the topic. And if that's not reason enough, you can even see a picture of me. But definitely the resources, way more important. Bestfriends.org slash podcast. And we do love hearing from you. It's sort of pointless for us to do this podcast if we're not giving you what you want. So the email address, podcast at bestfriends.org. Are there topics that you want to have covered? Guess. Maybe just give us some feedback on what we're doing and how we're doing it. It's all truly valued. Again, the email, podcast at bestfriends.org. After Yuba's former master, Michael Vick, was arrested for running a vicious dogfighting ring. The star quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons pleaded guilty in 2007. To a Man, maybe COVID fight. is affecting this, but I think about things like the Michael Vick dogfighting case, and it seems like so long ago, but also not that long ago. Like, what even is time anymore? But it has been 13 years. In October of 2007, the process to save the dogs seized during the bust was underway. But the media attention surrounding this case led to an outcry for help for these dogs. In this case, what, what helped in particular was Michael Vick, you know, 
uh, while at, at the beginning he was sort of the dog's biggest problem. In the end, he, he might have helped save them. That's CNN from about a decade ago. And that last voice you heard there was Jim Garant, wrote an amazing book about this called The Lost Dogs. Highly recommend. What those dogs did to change the future for all pit bull terrier type dogs is, I think, really hard to underestimate. If these pit bulls are ever to be adopted, Dogtown must transform virtually every aspect of their behavior. How you doing, little man? That's from the Nat Geo show Dogtown, where they profiled the work best friends did with 22 of the most difficult, most traumatized dogs who were cared for at the Best Friends Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah. Many of those dogs were adopted into homes where they were given the love they always deserved, something many people said couldn't be done. And today it seems crazy to think anything different would have happened, but at the time, saving the dogs was not a popular decision. Many organizations, animal welfare organizations, national organizations, thought they were too dangerous or that rescuing them was a waste of money. But it proved the point. The dogs are individuals and they deserve to be treated as such. And today, across the country, in large part to their stories and the microphone Michael Vick's notoriety provided, dogs seized from fighting rings are given a chance they never would have been given, were it not for those 47 dogs and the hundreds of people across the country involved in their rehabilitation. The stories are powerful, but taking them and turning them into action to make change happen change laws, change perceptions, that takes people. And for this issue, this episode, we knew who to talk to first. I clerked for a federal judge and an Illinois appellate judge. While I was doing that, I was able to start a humane society, the Metro East Humane Society. That's Leedy Van Cabbage, senior legislative attorney for Best Friends. And back in the day in the 80s, um, it was really horrible here. So many animals were being killed. And I had lived in this place all my life, John. And I didn't know that our shelter was selling animals for research. So one day after I graduated from law, school, the year I graduated, I opened up the paper. We had newspapers back in the day and, and basically front page, you know, a woman had turned her dog into the shelter, went back the next day to get it and it had already been sold for research. And I was appalled. Leedy did what, funnily enough, she would ultimately turn into a career targeting the county board where she lives in Southern Illinois, asking them to stop the practice of selling animals for research. She did that by rallying support, getting 500 signatures on a petition. And they stopped it within, you know, six weeks. But then we said, you know, let's look at their adoption stats. And they had brought in over 4,000 dogs and cats at Madison County Animal Control that year. And they had only adopted out 78 dogs and 14 cats. And we said, we can do better. So we formed a humane society. I became the president. And Metro East Humane Society is still running strong and they're doing a great job. And our county is no kill now, which I never thought I would see in my lifetime. You know, individuals working together in the community can make such a difference to the people and to the animals. Leedy is nationally recognized for the impact on this issue she's had as an attorney fighting for change for the dogs. Leedy... If you don't know her, I'm not sure how to describe her. And I mean this in the best way. She really is just one of a kind. When you just hear the cat use the litter box, that's always good. 
You may hear some adorable tiny meows as Leedy's speaking. The morning we talked, she'd been out trapping kittens. They are too young to go to Metro East Humane Society yet, but they will go um, in about a week. So <laughs> She says animal law didn't exist when she graduated law school, so it was a surprise to her that she could put that law degree to use fighting for animals just as she'd done years back with the county board, but on a much bigger scale. I got my um, job lobbying as I was a president of the Humane Society and I was at a conference and I just happened to sit next to Lisa Weisberg, who was um, the lead attorney for the ASPCA back then. And we hit it off. We had lunch. We talked lobbying. And six months later, she called and said, do you want a job? you know, like, you know, lobbying in the Midwest for the ASPCA. And I was like, hell yes, you know, <laughs> like I am there. And then in 2008, Leedy joined Best Friends, where she was able to focus on her passion, pit bull terrier type dog issues. Earlier, I mentioned the impact of Vic dogs and their story has had. Before the Vic dogs, there were 14 states that had provisions saying fight bus dogs are automatically deemed dangerous, are vicious, are they have to be summarily killed, are they contraband? So we have worked um, with other organizations, and actually there are only seven states now that discriminate against fight bus dogs. And we're hoping that there will be legislation introduced and passed in those states to get that stigma off so they can be evaluated just like any dog. The other side of breed discrimination is ownership, not just of a dog from a fight bus. Denver, one of the most notorious for this, has a complete ban on ownership of what they call pit bull breeds. Determining what is a pit bull anyway is a whole other thing for another podcast episode, but it would be ridiculous, expensive, time-consuming to go to every local community with a ban. So Leedy and her team primarily focus on this issue at the state level. So we have 22 states that have provisions against breed discrimination. Some provisions are better than others. South Dakota, Utah, they have very good provisions. Colorado does not because of Denver. Denver filed suit against Colorado, and because their home rule, the court found that they could still discriminate against the dogs. Fingers crossed, Denver's residents will be voting on a ballot measure on Tuesday that would help repeal the ban. Owners would still need a special license, but it's, it would be a huge step forward. This type of work is challenging a slog even. I live in Michigan where Best Friends and others, including the Michigan Pitbull Education Project and Michigan's Political Action Committee for Animals, have been pushing for a statewide provision banning discrimination based on breed for five years. It's exhausting, and I'm not even working on it. I know, but at least we've got it through the um, through the House and it's in the Senate now. So we have, a, you know, two lobbyists working hard on it um, right now, and we're hoping that we can get it through. For my fellow Michiganders, we need every voice we can get. So on the website, we'll have a link where you can take action. And for those of you not in Michigan, your voice is still needed. There'll be a link for you to get signed up for alerts so you will be ready when we need you to get involved. Bestfriends.org slash podcast. When I started this um, at Best Friends, only 13 states had those provisions, and now we're up to 22. So I want to get to 26 before I die. <laughs> Let's all do our part to help Leedy's dream come true. I just wanted to throw this in because Leedy and her team at Best Friends and everybody doing this work deserves a lot of credit. It's hard work, and there are wins, sure, but there are lots of losses. And it's an area that has 
shall we say, a fervent assemblage of people and organizations who, let's be honest, would love to see anything that looks or smells like a pit bull terrier type dog wiped off the face of the earth. Leedy's success and profile has actually made her a target. She was doxxed. An anti-organization um, did publish my home address on the internet, which is always great, you know, especially when you're out of town and your husband is wondering why our you know address and his name that is uh, has a different last name than mine is on the web, you know, and and he's getting these bizarre things. So so that's been a little like touch and go, and it makes the progress even that much more impressive, and to be laughing as you go. So what about the perception side and how we've approached the pit bull issues within shelters? Monday was the annual pit bull awareness day. I saw a Facebook post about it from a friend and the discussion was really interesting. Should we have such a day? As someone pointed out on that thread, pit bulls aren't like, you know, kidney disease and awareness days can so often be synonymous with becoming aware of problems. In this case, what exactly are we highlighting? is highlighting them in that sort of way, calling them out, being specific. Like, isn't that what we're trying not to do? They're just dogs. Now, of course, the other side to that is that they are still maligned. We know that the public has misgivings and we want adopters to embrace them. So calling them out, telling their stories, celebrating them certainly has value. So maybe it's the terminology, the word awareness, Either way, I just think the fact that we can and are having these types of conversations is pretty awesome. It's largely moved away from should we save them to how do we do it in the best and safest way. I was working in Philadelphia in an animal control shelter um, in an urban area. Sue Cosby, Senior Director of Life-Saving Centers for Best Friends, took on the role of Executive Director for Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia about 15 years ago. When I got there, our community, not through any ordinance, but because of sort of a, a gentleman's agreement between all of the animal welfare organizations, did not adopt out pit bulls. So any pit bull type dog that looked like it could be a pit bull um, was killed. Like I said, that was not even an ordinance. And so myself and the other people who came in at that time with the goal of really taking Philadelphia to no kill, one of the first things we had to do was convince our own elected officials and our community that I mean, it was okay to adopt out pit bulls. And I think back to that, I, I knew, and, and I knew over the years, so many other shelters that regardless of the fact they had no breed limitations, were following that policy. And that is disappearing. It, it is not completely gone, but it is almost entirely gone. And so to me, that's progress. If you're a sports fan or maybe just have a good memory, Michael Vick in Philadelphia might ring a bell. I was in Philadelphia when Michael Vick was signed to the Eagles. And uh, as my job there, I had to do a lot of radio interviews and TV interviews. And it's the first and only time anyone on ESPN wanted to hear anything I had to say. <laughs> she says she had a choice. Focus on football, the choice of the NFL to allow him back to the choice of the Eagles to sign him to focus on dogfighting. We tried really hard to make it about how we treat dogs in general and how we are considerate to dogs and respect dogs as individuals, as opposed to being a pit bull issue. Our media team would always prep the interviewers by saying, 
we're, you know, we're not going to frame this as a pit bull issue. We're not going to go down that road because that has nothing to do. He could have been fighting finches. So we actually created some campaigns around that, that were completely not talking about the fact that they were pit bulls. And when uh, reporters would go down that road, you know, I would respond that we consider every dog an individual. You know, they have a nose, two eyes, two ears, and best case scenario, if we haven't uh, had an injury, uh, they got four legs. And, and that is the case with every dog. They're they are not what, you know, the, the, the mythical monster that pe- some people like to portray them as. So I think that the more we talk about dogs as individuals, the better off we're going to be because it's really allowing their own personalities to tell the story of who they are rather than a label or a stereotype. Even if you're not in a position to lobby, but you're in maybe marketing with a shelter, leadership, adoptions, an advocate, how we talk about them matters. We have to be intentional. It really was talking about dogs as individuals. The way I did like to approach it was, yes, breed is there as a, as a sort of filter, but what really tells the story are those photos and those videos and anything that you can capture about that dog's personality that you know at the time. Sue points out that decreased length of stay as we work to get animals out of shelters faster makes that more challenging. I mean, how do you get to know a dog in 10 days? But getting them into foster homes, that can provide super valuable information. And for a minute, just forget the public and think about your own biases and how they can get in the way. I know that there is a lot of study around people, human populations, that can determine that the zip code that you're born in can really set the stage for your entire life. It sets your social mobility, your wealth or lack of wealth, just really coming down to where you're born. And that has to do with the resources that are available to your community, what everyone is sort of living with and working with. And I think about it with pit bull type dogs, that they are stuck in the skin that they're in. Their potential for what they can be in the future means we have to get past that. Humans, you have to get past whatever your zip code uh, is imposing on you. And we have to dedicate our resources to helping people in areas of need, the same way that Best Friends is dedicating its resources to helping these dogs who, through the whatever unfortunate circumstances, were born who they are, where they are. We have to get past that in the same way we, we want to treat people as individuals and get people past that too. So it is the perceptions and municipal and state laws that are continuing to affect pit bull terrier type dogs and their owners. But so is insurance and housing issues. According to the organization My Pitbull is Family, there are more than 25 breeds specifically discriminated against in rental pet policies nationwide. The stats are staggering. They maintain a database of pet-friendly rentals, more than 5,600 listings nationwide. These are pet-friendly rentals. 90% of them have restrictions based on breed, weight, or both. Homeowners insurance, it's the same thing. And it's not just pit bull terrier type dogs. So as we continue to grapple with the perceptions and how we talk about them and other issues such as breed labels and their place in sheltering, we need to work today to right the wrongs related to housing and insurance issues. Both Sue and Leedy brought them up separately as immediate roadblocks to saving lives. Here's Leedy and then Sue. You know, so many companies discriminate against breeds of dogs and people don't even realize it. So we almost need people to start a movement 
to um, basically divest from companies that do discriminate and go to companies that do not. Brett Tolner, you know, who I'm sure has been on the podcast um, before, he has a great story where he found out his insurance company discriminated against breeds of dogs. So he made his insurance agent come over to his house and, you know, he had his cars insured with him and his house, you know, and like a boat or I don't know what, but, you know, a lot. And he had him meet the dogs, you know, sit there, the dogs lick in the hand, you know, and, and basically say, well, I'm taking all my insurance business and moving to whatever, you know, whether it's farmers or state farm, because they don't discriminate against breeds of dogs. If more people did that, insurance companies would basically start rethinking, you know, their policies. The stigma that some people project on bully breed dogs, it then makes it a little bit harder. And that stigma is both opinion and it is also the challenge that we face in housing where landlords and insurance companies in particular put restrictions on certain types of breeds. It's And that is not just restricted to pit bull type dogs, although they are the probably the most common. I, and I say that just from my own anecdotal evidence, um, both trying to get insurance um, and then renting property. I, for example, had a Norwegian Elkhound mix and uh, I actually looked at an apartment that was lovely when I moved to Texas, and they specifically called out Norwegian elk hounds as a prohibited breed. And I'm like, how is this breed even popular enough <laughs> to make a list? But somehow it made someone's list somewhere. So uh, I think that the challenges beyond Norwegian elk hounds is that if you're if you're looking at landlords and insurance companies that do create lists the Pipple is type or the Amstaff or any of those uh, dogs that could be classified within that look and uh, uh, type, those are dogs are going to be the most common. So it's, it, it is, it's a, it's a bad combination of the, um, the opinion that some people form the misled opinion um, and the reality that uh, there's actual policies out there that are making it difficult for these dogs. I mean, how random is that? I had to Google Norwegian elk hounds. Uh, imagine a German shepherd mixed with a Malamute. It's all very bizarre. And Leedy reminded me that now more than ever, we need common sense housing policies. Can can I make a special plea, especially during COVID times for um, to landlords and with housing issues? It's been really a hard time for a lot of people. Um, I think all of us are feeling the effects of COVID. And and again, there are going to probably be a lot of evictions. If you are a landlord, look at your housing policies and don't discriminate against breeds of dogs. People need pets. You know, they're part of the community. Don't say you can't have a dog over 40 pounds. You know, as long as the dog's well behaved, that should be fine. So open up your, your housing to allow for pets, no matter what the breed, no matter what the size. Focus on behavior. Great things are happening for these dogs all the time. NACA, National Animal Care and Control Association, just in the last week released its first ever position statement on breed-specific legislation opposing the practice. So at Best Friends, we have a um, economic, a fiscal impact calculator that you can click on, you know, your city, your county, and it will tell you how much it would cost your politicians to enforce a pit bull ban or pit bull restrictions every year. And it's quite monumental. I mean, I think in Albuquerque, if you run the numbers, it's over $900,000 a year. Well, I'm sure there's more, you know, um, important things Albuquerque 
could be doing rather than passing a law that is not going to enhance safety. This is America. I mean, responsible dog owners, I hate to hammer this home, but should be allowed to own whatever breed of dog they choose. I mean, as long as they're responsible, you know, the focus should be on the behavior of the dog and the behavior of the owner. Now, to reiterate the point I made at the start of the episode, it barely scratches the surface, doesn't it? But focus on the behavior. Those are the four words that I hope we can all carry with us as we move forward. Working to change the lives of an entire group of dogs that want nothing more than to be loved. Finally today, if you have not seen the documentary, The Champions, please find a way this weekend, I guess whenever, uh, and watch it. And even if you've seen it, watch it again. It's a beautifully shot film. The stories of the dogs are so powerful and a reminder of why it is important that we continue fighting for these dogs. Here's part of the trailer. The best that we could hope for was that we could show the general public that you don't have to be afraid of the dogs just because of the situation that they came from. We never thought twice about taking a dog from a fighting situation. We've put up a link to their website with the options on how to view the film on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Now listen, knowing that there is likely to be a lot of things happening next week, regardless of Tuesday's outcome, I want you to do everything you can to stay safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.